All right. Good morning. It is good to be here together today. And as I look out, I know we've got a few of our own that are missing. I do see some visitors and we are so thankful that you're here. And as we begin today, we're going to be talking about loving your neighbor. The scripture that was just read by Kobe and we thank him for that. Loving your neighbor. Now within this, as it starts out in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35, as often was the case... They try to question Jesus. They want to trip him up, so to speak. They want to make him misspeak. They want to make him look bad. They want to embarrass him. Or so that seems to be the the goal. However, it always comes back to haunt them. It always comes back to make them miserable. You got the wrong guy. He's not going to misspeak. And he's going to show you a way more perfect... And God, Christ, did it on every occasion. Now, as we begin today, I will tell you that uh, Mike is in San Angelo, Texas. And uh, as many of you know, that Nancy did fall and she she broke, broke her leg right below her knee. Now, when I spoke to her yesterday, she said that it was actually more comfortable riding in the car than it was laying in the hotel bed. So, uh... Take that as you may, but uh, continue to pray for, for Nancy and Mike as they're on their trip, and then especially for Nancy as she has to go through the pain until she gets home and has surgery and recovers. So continue to pray for them and remember them, and we look forward to having them back this coming week uh, at the conclusion of the gospel meeting. So this morning, As we look at Matthew chapter 22, I want to encourage you, we're going to focus on that loving your neighbor. In Matthew chapter 22, when they ask him, they say, well, what is the the great commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And as Jesus answers, he gives them the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we understand the importance of it and God being the, the creator, God being everything that has to do with anything. It all started with the great I am. Well, you get down and he doesn't quit there with giving the greatest commandment, but he ties in one more. And he says, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love your neighbor, or you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then notice his conclusion in verse 40 when he says, on these two commandments. Notice he says, hang all. The law and the prophets. In regards to the law, he said there are two great commandments and from them come everything we know. Everything that you need to know. It all starts right there. All other laws that we're going to look into. You can go into the New Testament as we look at Christ's design and way of life. It's still motivated from that of loving the Lord first. And loving your neighbor second. First off, as we begin talking about love for your neighbor this morning, I want you to recognize that love for your neighbor drives the growth of the church. It should be the reason why the church goes forward and grows by, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, leaps and bounds. They had 3,000 added one day and they continued to grow from that day. Today, if the church is going to go forward, it's only going to happen. If we have love for our neighbors, 
You know, we mention in Matthew chapter 22 and they try and trick Jesus. They say, well, let's see if we can trip him up. Let's see if we can get him confused. Well, in Luke chapter 10, they do exactly the same thing. Now, Luke chapter 10 is going to be a passage that is probably one that you've studied on many, many occasions. Luke chapter 10, we see Jesus lays out a parable. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30, we recognize Jesus answering a question. The question in verse 29 was, says, wanting to justify him, he says, who is my neighbor? Recognizing Jesus has already made a law, understanding that Jesus said there's love the Lord your God and uh, love your neighbor as yourself, he says, well, who is that? Who's my neighbor? Who's this person that you're trying to, to push off on me? Knowing today when you talk about your neighbor, if I came up to you and we casually started talking about our neighbors, most likely I'm talking about the person next door. I'm talking about the person across the street or at least in a close proximity to my house. Well, Jesus, let's say, extends that proximity. Notice in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus answered and says, well, listen here. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest, a holy man, came down the road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Got as far away as he could. He said, likewise, a Levite ought to be a special person. Another person that would have claimed God. To be his. When he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. It says, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You know, within this, this parable, it starts out and it says, the most unlikely of people has compassion. I hope that it's never said about us as a church, as a congregation. I hope that it would never be said, you know, they ignored me, but the most unlikely of people showed compassion. Notice as he goes on in verse 34, it says, So he, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. He chooses to walk. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day, in verse 35, when he departed, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you spend, notice he says, when I come again, I will repay you. He takes ownership in showing compassion. He doesn't wash his hands once he gets to the point where, where he's got him out of the middle of the road, out of this beaten spot. And Jesus says, so let me answer you. I see your question in verse 29. In verse 36, he says, let me answer you. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Being caught up 
In his situation and understanding the story, he says, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, Go and do likewise. All right, as we talk this morning about loving your neighbor, who is your neighbor? Don't ask me, let's look at Jesus. Don't ask me what my opinion is, but rather look at Jesus and the story he gives. And within this, we will recognize that neighbors include any person that we have contact with. Any opportunity that is presented to us is our neighbor. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, we looked at last week, well, two weeks ago when I was preaching. We might have looked at it last week too, I don't know. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto, listen, all men, especially them of the household of faith. You've got a neighbor within the all. All right. We talk about neighbors, you know, that's where it gets difficult. You get out into the world and there's going to be a lot of people that are different You know, they might have more money than you and you feel insignificant. I would pray that it's never the case that we have more money than them and we feel that we're superior. You know, as you look at the pattern of Christ when he came to this earth, it's amazing the people that it's recorded that he included. It's amazing how Jesus goes out of his way to find those that are, by the world's standards, insignificant, not important, not on the same playing field. And oh, it was pointed out to Jesus on many occasions. Why are you with them? You know, in John chapter 4, a very well-known story the woman at the well in John chapter 4 has a lot of things about her that if everybody had known it they would have said well he better not be around her John chapter 4 and verse 7 it says a woman listen of Samaria you understand he said that no good Sorry, person that I would never talk to. He says, that woman of Samaria. That's a worthless woman right there. Not only did they look down on the fact that women in this, uh, in this time period and within their culture were viewed as very little. All right? They were hardly any better... Realistically, they're not as good as you view your dog today in this culture. And then he says of Samaria. And if you were a Jew, that just meant they were scum between your toes. So now we see Jesus. It says, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me to drink. He spoke to her. He chose to spoke to this person that was the most unlikely of, of subjects. You go down in the story and we, we see her marital situation. And what do you see within Jesus? He has conversation with her. 
She's going to go to town. She's going to say, he told me all that I ever did. She recognizes there is something special about Jesus. She wants the living water that Jesus says he has the ability to provide. Now today we see first off here a a little sneak peek into Christ. Who's your neighbor? Who's the one that you need to be diligent to share the gospel with? The one that's the least likely. The one that seems to be not on your level. You know, there's, as you go throughout the scripture, there's many different things that, that you see. You can see first in John chapter 4 and verse 7, you see from a different culture. They had a different way of life. They didn't follow with that of the Jews. They weren't Jews. They weren't in the, the, the church people. They weren't among, amongst Christians. They were outsiders. Within that of loving your neighbor, you need to look for the outsider. Within that of your neighbor, you need to look for people that live differently. John chapter 15. If you look at John chapter 15 and notice in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Okay, we see people that were part of the vine that are stripped from the vine, but notice what he says. At the very end, he says that it may bear more fruit. The outsiders can come be a part of the vine. They can become a part of the church. You know, in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What's he mean? You see that individual that's caught up in sin, that isn't living for Christ, that isn't striving for righteousness. What's that mean? It means they are your neighbor. It means you have an obligation because of your opportunity. If we expect the church to grow when all we ever associate with and encourage and talk to Christ about is the people that meet on Sunday morning, is the people that meet together as a church, if that's the only people that we talk to about our Savior, we are missing the boat. We are missing the message and we are missing what Christ did. My goal in every way is to avoid getting caught up in sin. But my my goal in no way is to avoid the sinner. Jesus chose to take opportunity with those that were caught up in sin to teach. As he begins with the woman at the well, he begins and he teaches. In John chapter 15, the branch is able to bear more fruit because those that, quote, proclaim Christianity and aren't part of it, Jesus says, I'll whack them off. They're not part of my vine and it just makes more room, not that there wasn't plenty, but it makes more room for those who are willing to follow Recognize that your neighbors are people that have a different economic background. They might not be just as you. Luke chapter 7. 
Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, we see, we see a few different classes. Verse 34, it says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and saying, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. You've got the, the alcoholic. We see that's caught up in his miseries. Most likely he's down and out because he's done wasted his living. Notice what he says, though. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. They're talking about Jesus. Hmm. Friend of tax collectors, the elite. These are the rich people that they assume have, have stolen and done wrong to those that had paid taxes. And then sinners. They come in, they're talking about talking about Christ, and yet we see from the poorest to the wealthiest, those that were hated because they were wealthy, to the poorest of people, who did Christ include? It says, Jesus came eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, the friend of to all. Your neighbors are people that have clothes. They don't dress quite as nice as you. Maybe they dress nicer than you. You go to James chapter 2, he talks a little about a little about dress and the problem being in James chapter 2 is one is exalted and another is looked down upon. And he says, let it not be the case. James chapter 2, he says, Verse 1, my brethren, don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Verse 2, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings of fine apparel, there should also come in your assembly a poor man, filthy clothes. He says, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in a good place. You say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. He says in verse 4, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Recognize that within this assembly, he expects you to be a neighbor to both. Without partiality, both are loved, both are respected. You chose to go and hug both of them. You might not be a hugger, Michelle Gitter. I'll shake your hand. Elbow bump, all right? But you showed the same care, you showed the same concern to both individuals. If the Lord's church is to grow, we've got to get back to the second commandment where it says... Love your neighbor. You know, loving your neighbor is shown by our action. That clock is fast. I believe it's set wrong, but I don't have my phone to check, so I'm just going to assume I'm right. Love is shown through action. We are to be an illuminating radiance to a world full of darkness. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that he may see your good works. And notice that they're going to glorify your Father which is in heaven. As you talk about that love that's shown through action, the world sees it through you. Part of your light is part of being a neighbor. 
You know, Jesus is the light that's to be shared. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. It says, he who follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's a pretty special light. Notice also, love is the motivation for our action. If we're to be a loving people, we're to be known by our love, it needs to be be a motivation for everything we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 14, it says, Let all that you do be done with love. Why? Because the only reason I am able to stand here today cleansed, sanctified, part of the holy priesthood, Because Jesus Christ loved me. As we came together and we we remember the sacrifice as we partake of the Lord's Supper, the, the emblem set aside to remember what was done on our behalf, we recognize the greatest love ever was shown for me. The greatest person to show that love showed it to everybody. Without exclusion. Let everything that we do be done in love. You go back to that Good Samaritan and we recognize the Good Samaritan, the most likely, unlikely of people, he helped when there was a need. He was the picture of what God expected of his people. The priest was just the person that proclaimed to be God's people. The Levite just shouted the name of God, but the Samaritan came by and he lived like God would have him to live. All right. As we uh, try and wrap things up, love is shown through the greatest gift that's ever been given. You know, in Acts chapter 3, we have a special example where there's a beggar. In verse... Let's look at verse 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them attention, expecting to receive something. Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He said, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with him. Walking, leaping and praising God. Now, I understand you don't have miraculous gifts and you're not going to reach down and pick a paralyzed person up and say, rise up and walk. But I will tell you this. When someone asks for money, there is a greater gift than the money that can be given. I'm not saying that it's not right to give them money. I think there are occasions where I think it's absolutely necessary. But I will tell you this. On this occasion, something was given far greater than money. 
And when you see somebody truly in need in this world, they're in need because they don't have Jesus. They're not in need because they don't have money. Because there is something far greater. You know, when at, the, at the well, Jesus said, I'll give you living water. Uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. There is something more to life than hunger, thirst. And it's a desire for righteousness. I fear too often we're so afraid not to give that, or we're so afraid to give that we don't give them the greatest gift that we have to offer. Salvation. When somebody desires something, recognize in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but listen, but the gift, now understood, free gift, couldn't be purchased gift. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The greatest thing that we can share is the gift that we enjoy. It's worth far more than the world. You go back to the... You go back to the pearl, great price. You go back to any valuable treasure and there's something that's more valuable... And it's all about the kingdom. It's the most valuable thing that can be spoken of. The greatest responsibility was given in that same gift. When that gift was given to us. When Jesus Christ died for me, it gave me a special gift. But it gave me a great responsibility... Because now I'm indebted to share this message. It's not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a gift. He goes on to say in verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not will be condemned. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. He says, And the things that thou have heard of me among many witnesses, he says, Commit these to faithful men. Notice who will be able to teach others also. You see, the gospel goes forward. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, the gospel is the power for salvation. Following Christ then brings about a whole new responsibility. If we understand who our neighbor is, and if we understand Christ's law to love our neighbor, the greatest responsibility that we have is making sure that it's shared. In no way is there a circumstance where it takes that away. No matter what's going on in our life, we have to take advantage of our opportunities. We've got to search out opportunities, look for people that are searching. You know, Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. He said, pray therefore, Lord send laborers into the harvest. Mark chapter 1 and verse 17, within our new responsibility, Jesus says, follow me. He says, and I will make you 
fishers of men. Spoken to his disciples that were giving their life to the work of the church. Speaking today to members of the church that chose to give their life to Christ. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We've got a task. We've got some work to do. And we need to truly love our neighbor. If we love them, we're going to make sure that they know there is something special about Jim Burton. Jim Burton's a Christian and I want to be like him. There's something special about you. And they're going to want to be like you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, understand... It's the greatest gift. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 we looked at for the wages of sin is death. That's what's deserved. He says, but the free gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died for you. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And Jesus rose again. My question is, are you willing to die understanding that, look, it's not about me. I'm giving up. My purpose in life for loving the world and now I'm going to commit to loving Christ. That's what it means to die. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to be crucified. It doesn't mean your head has to be, shut, has to be cut off. But rather, you're giving up sin. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to that. I'm done. I'm repenting. Why? Because they knew who Jesus was. They believed in who he was. No doubt then they're going to make a confession. They're going to tell the world, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God... And I'm going to live for him. Being buried in the water, they make that new life comes about. John chapter 3, beginning, read the whole chapter, honestly. You can look at 3 and 5 especially. But as you look look through it, we see a new birth. We see a new lifestyle that comes from it as they follow to live for Christ. Where they're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it. They're going to love their neighbor as their self. We've got a job to do, guys, and it's time to get to work. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg of you, make a change right now as we stand and sing.